Well, I was not a super adventurous kid uh, when I was young. I know for those of you that know me particularly well, you're not surprised to hear that at all. Uh, I wasn't much for tree climbing, uh, fence jumping, anything that was even remotely dangerous. Like I would play outside, don't get me wrong, but not in ways that were ever risky. And so if I was with a group of friends and they were all going to climb a tree, I was probably just going to hang it on the ground. Uh, if you know, they were going to hop a fence, I'd go around, whatever it took, uh, to keep from being in that risky situation. I never climbed up on the roof and jumped off or anything like that. Uh, we got a swimming pool when I was a kid. I never did flips into it or anything like that. I kept it pretty safe. And so growing up, I had a lot of friends that had something that I never had. They had scars. I never had scars. I always thought I was kind of left out on that, but I also wasn't willing to do what it took to receive those scars. I had friends that could say, well, yeah, that one's from falling off a dirt bike. Or, oh, that one's from falling out of a tree. Scars tell stories, and I didn't really have any. I have a couple now, and and they do tell stories, but they aren't good stories. I I got two scars last summer, uh, both of them within a few weeks of one another. One happened at a, a cookout. We were at someone's house, and I was helping the kids play on a swing set that were required me to take a step up a wooden ladder to help one of my kids who was thinking about jumping off because my kids are a lot braver than I am. And as I stepped up onto that first step, it cracked out from underneath me and uh, the screw stayed behind and needless to say, I got torn up pretty good. In fact, if I had shorts on this morning, you'd be able to see that scar. And then a few weeks later, I got another one that you'd be able to see as well. And we were setting out the tents in the field uh, here at the church for a, an event. And uh, those of you that have been around have seen the tents. They're very small metal stakes. But I walked straight into one uh, and got myself again. And so I finally have scars, and the stories aren't great to back them up. I was too heavy for the playground, and I didn't watch where I was walking. Those are the stories. They're not, they're not good. But physical scars, they tend to tell those stories. But there are other kinds of star- scars as well, emotional scars, mental scars, even spiritual scars. And I would suggest that all of those scars tell stories as well. I knew that several months ago, when I asked you to go out and ask people in your life who don't go to church why that is, I knew that some would share that they had been hurt by the church or by Christians, that they had been scarred in that way, that they had that in their past. I knew before I had received a single answer from anyone, I knew that this would be the reason that we would close this series out with. And I knew that even among those who do go to church, even among us today, that there were plenty of people who also had scars that were put there in a church or by the church or by Christians. And for all of those reasons, that's why, even though it's a little bit awkward, even though it could hurt, even though it won't necessarily be fun, that's why I think we have to address this reason I've been hurt by the church. I want to share with you the words of Pastor Josh Moody, and if you've experienced church-related hurt, I think you'll find yourself in what he said. He said, as a pastor of a church, I've heard stories from people who have found church confusing, contrarian, or even damaging. Not every church hurts people, but most churches have hurt someone at some point. Some people are hurt through their own mistakes, others because of sins committed against them, and still others because of failed leadership. This reality can leave them reluctant to re-engage, afraid of being hurt again, wanting to protect themselves, and questioning the place of the church in their lives. Now, I'll be honest with you. I find myself in that statement on both sides of it. Because I know that I have received hurt from the church or from Christians. I know that I carry those scars. But I'm also certain that I've been part of inflicting 
hurt on behalf of the church, even if it was never intentional. And that's why I want to make sure I'm up front here today when I say that I'm not speaking to those of you who have experienced something as someone who hasn't. I I do understand, at least on some level, I'll admit to you openly this morning that as a direct result of church-related hurt, I was tempted to leave ministry, even take a break, or walk away completely from church. No one outside of Stacy and I, because we walked through that together, fully understand the scars that we have that were inflicted, intentional or otherwise, by people who claimed Christ as their Savior and God as their guide. But as a pastor and as a leader in the church, I'm certain that my actions, my words, my decisions have probably also inflicted pain, have probably also caused hurt in someone else's life. Certainly in situations where that was not my intent, and probably in some situations that I'm not even aware of. So I'm no expert. But from both sides of this, I absolutely have experience as a receiver of scars, and yes, as a giver of them. But I want to go back to Josh Moody because I actually cut his quote off a little bit early. You see, here's what he said to conclude. He said, the good news for the hurting is that God has spoken to your pain in the Bible. You see, the good news for those of us with scars is that God is aware of those scars. He's aware of the pain. He knows where it came from, and he speaks to it. And I believe that he has a message for us today, whether we've been hurt by the church and remain a part of it, or whether this is the first time we've been to church in a long time, or if we're watching online because we couldn't bring ourselves to walk through the doors of a church, any church today, whatever it is, wherever you are, if you have these kinds of scars... I hope that you hear the message today from God. And understand that this particular reason, it actually can be seen as a little bit different from the others because it was possible that if you had any of the other reasons that we've processed in this series, reasons for staying away from church or from staying far from God, if you had any of those reasons, it's very possible that you arrived at those conclusions, those reasons, without ever being a part of a church at any point. Because you can meet some Christians or work with some Christians or have neighbors who go to church or even just hear things or make assumptions that can give you the reasons we've already addressed. Like, I never saw the need for church or the church just wants my money or it's too complicated to be a part of the church or all Christians are hypocrites. It's possible that you could come to those conclusions way apart from the church. But if you've been hurt by the church, it probably means at some point you were a part of it or at least tried to be a part of it, at least gave it a chance, at least allowed yourself to be around some of God's people, some Christians, that maybe you started a relationship with God or at least with his church. And so what I want to share with you today, it's going to come from that perspective, the perspective that if you're listening today at some point, even if it's not the case anymore, you were interested or at least a little bit curious about God. And in some way you were hurt And it changed the way you viewed it. It changed your perspective. It got in the way. And for some, that means that you never came back. You walked away from the fellowship of believers. For others, you're still here. You're still connected, but the scars remain. And for even others, you walked away from the place and the people where you were hurt, but you've given it another chance here with us. No matter where you've been, I hope and pray that you hear from God today. And if you don't have a bunch of church hurt in your past, or if you feel like you really have gotten past it, I would challenge you to listen from the perspective that there are people in your life who do still carry those scars, and who do have that hurt, and that you may at some point be given the opportunity to speak love and truth into this part of their life, into this part of their story. 
In the New Testament, the second part of the Bible, it begins with the Gospels, the, the story of the life of Jesus. When, when we get past those Gospels, what we have is a good portion of it actually being about the church, the believers, and, and how they're supposed to live among one another. Basically, there's a lot in the New Testament about how to deal with issues in and surrounding the church. And what you have to consider as you read through the letters of the New Testament, especially Paul's, is that a lot of that wouldn't have been necessary if the church had been a perfect place, if Christians had been perfect people. But the truth is, time and time again, there were issues and there were issues, and that's why Paul wrote these letters. That's why we have so much of this good teaching in the New Testament. Consider some of the reasons behind Paul's writings. You go to the book of Galatians, and you find him addressing legalism. In Galatians chapter 1, beginning of verse 6, he writes, I am shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ, you are following a different way that pretends to be the good news, but is not the good news at all. You are being fooled by those who deliberately twist the truth concerning Christ. Do you know who he was writing to there? He was writing to people who had come to believe in Jesus as their Savior because of God's grace and mercy, but now we're believing what some were teaching was that you have to keep all the rules to stay good with God. You have to nail the checklist to make sure you're right with God. They were legalistic teachings infiltrating the church there, and the people were beginning to believe it. And Paul says, no, you've missed the point. You forgot about grace and mercy. In Colossians, he addresses heresy. Colossians 2, verse 8. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And again, what you had is you had teaching infiltrating the church that was not in line with Scripture. It was either based on human thinking or it was even from the spiritual powers of this world of darkness. And it was believable to some people. And so Paul writes, don't allow this to twist your thinking. In 2 Timothy This is a very personal view into into kind of who Paul was and and how he functioned. As he writes 2 Timothy to to Timothy, this becomes a very personal part of the letter where he describes how his relationship with some of the people he was working with, leaders within the movement of Jesus, about how it wasn't going so well. Here's what Paul writes. He writes, Timothy, please come as soon as you can. Demas has deserted me because he loves the things of this life and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Bring Mark with you when you come, for he will be helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, be sure to bring the coat I left with Carpus at Troas, and bring my books, especially my papers. Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm, but the Lord will judge him for what he has done. Be careful of him, for he fought against everything we said. The first time I was brought before the judge, no one came with me. Everyone abandoned me. May it not be counted against them. And you hear, even among Paul and his closest associates, who were starting churches and spreading the gospel to places that had never been before, there are still these struggles. There's this tension, even among leaders. In Philippians, he addresses conflict. Philippians chapter 2, beginning verse 12. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. Do everything without complaining and arguing, so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright stars in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain, and that my work was not useless." 
And you might read that passage and you say, well, that's, that's encouraging. He's not dealing with any kind of issue. Well, the truth is, when you read the book of Philippians and several other of Paul's writings, what you find is certain things always coming up. That over and over again, Paul makes it clear that they need to do everything without complaining and arguing. That, that over and over again, they need to live as innocent lives as children of God. That the truth is, when something has to be reiterated over and over again, it's usually because it's an issue people are going to struggle with. Usually if something has to be said more than once, it's because it's an ongoing struggle. And so these things that Paul reiterates were probably things they were dealing with or were going to deal with. It's kind of like when you have a, a handbook of rules, and you read through this handbook of rules for whatever it is, and you find one, and you say, that's a really weird rule. Why would that have to be in there? And you realize, you know, probably because somebody made that rule necessary. When I was in college at Johnson University, there was a a rule placed in the student handbook that said you could not repel out the window of the dormitory. Now, you would read through that as a, as a new student and say, why in the world would there be a rule in a student handbook about repelling out the window? Well, it's because someone did it. It's because somebody thought that was a good idea. And so in response, it had to be made a rule. That happened while I was there. It happened on my wing, but no, it was not me. I just told you I wasn't adventurous. You, I didn't change, trust me. And so when Paul reiterates, when Paul goes back to the same points, you can make, uh, I think, a safe assumption to say this is something that he's seen in other places, with other people, or even among these people already. And so he's going to keep bringing it up. In First and Second Corinthians, really there are too many things to list that Paul addresses, but specifically he comes back to human pride and arrogance a lot. And the people there in Corinth... And we're full of themselves sometimes, and, and, and them being full of themselves, their arrogance was getting in the way of their ability to follow Jesus the way that they were supposed to. You see, if you specifically read through Paul's letters, you can end up imagining that Paul spent a significant amount of time putting out other people's fires and dealing with, with other people's issues and worrying about his fellow Christians in places where he had established these fellowships. In fact, imagine with me for a moment, based just on the passages today even, imagine with me that Paul had email. What percentage of his inbox would be full of people going, this person did this, and hey, we're struggling with this, and hey, Paul, can you send us something that talks about this? Because we're really struggling with this, and somebody wasn't very good about this, and somebody's being arrogant here. I mean, how many emails would he have a day from people in these places? It would have been overwhelming. Because Paul brought the gospel to these places, and he began these fellowships, these churches of believers. But inherent in those churches was still brokenness and struggle. And just because they were the church, just because they were trying to follow Jesus, it didn't magically stop the brokenness and the struggle from still being there. You see, sometimes I'm tempted to wish that the church was a safe place to free from those flaws and free from those kinds of struggles. But when I really think about it, if it were, would we feel like we could bring our own brokenness and struggles into the fellowship? I'm, I'm not sure that we would. You know, it's not our perfection that unites us because none of us are perfect, so it also shouldn't be our brokenness and our struggles and, and our sins that divide us. And yet when we get hurt by the church or in the church or by Christians, there is a temptation, an urge to flee run away. There's a temptation to say, you know what, this is what caused my pain. I need to go away from it. 
There's a temptation to look at all churches and say, these are places where people get hurt. I need to stay as far away from them as possible. There are people that feel that way. Maybe you have felt that way at some point in your life. Maybe you still kind of feel that way. I would suggest that instead of fleeing, there are several things we can do to walk through these kinds of situations. Now, they're challenging. They're not easy, but they can make a difference. The first challenge will be this. Change your focus from flawed people to a perfect God. And to me, that starts with prayer. It starts with His Word. Now, I understand if you're not a person who has a lot of experience there, the idea of praying or going to God's Word when you've been hurt by the church, it doesn't, it doesn't seem like a good idea. But I would say if you have church-related hurt, the first thing I would challenge you to do if you have not done so is to pray. Even if all you do is say, God, this is what happened. I want you to know about it. Your willingness to share it with God is a step in the right direction. And for those of us with little to no church hurt in our past, we might think, well, of course we should pray. Prayer is the answer to everything. Of course that's the first thing we should do. Here's the thing. For a lot of us, when it's the church that hurts us, the last place we want to turn is the God who these people supposedly represent. And it can be difficult when you've been hurt in the church or by the church to say, you know what, let me turn this to God. It is hard to do. And I know that that's an ultimately flawed view. It's an unfortunate angle from which to see things, but it's also the way a lot of us end up feeling when we've experienced that hurt. In my own experience, I was a pastor dealing with church hurt, and I'll tell you what, I pulled away from God instead of turning to him. I didn't want to pray. My Bible got dusty on my desk. I didn't assume that God's word would be any help, any comfort for me. And so I pulled back. I kept my distance. I did my job, but that was about it. And it wasn't until we decided that we weren't walking away from God or his church that I earnestly prayed again. I could only imagine that it would have been a different experience if I had turned to God in my pain instead of waiting until I had tried to process it on my own for a while. And we do that. We do that. We, we, we find ourselves in pain. We get hurt in different situations in our life, and it's so easy to try to deal with it on our own. It would be so much easier if we would turn to God first. And I look back, and I think maybe God would have pointed me to a, to a passage of Scripture that would have spoken volumes to me. Maybe something from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning verse 1, where it says this, Therefore I, a prisoner for serving the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one Spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is overall in all and living through all. Now, on the one hand, the description in this passage of unity in the Spirit is not what I had experienced in the church. If you have church hurts, it's not what you experienced either. But it is also a reminder that what we experienced when we were hurt by the church or by Christians is not the way that God intended church to be. It's confirmation, affirmation even, that what happened was a result of flawed people, and not because of the God that they try to serve or the Jesus they're trying to follow. God's plan for the church, God's goal for his people was to be a people who were always humble and gentle, patient with one another, making allowance for one another's faults, and united 
that we don't always get that right. That was God's purpose for the church, and it's important that we keep that in mind and focus on God instead of flawed people. The second thing is difficult. The second challenge is to control what you can control. Anybody a control freak in the room? Some of you are proud of that. That's okay. This will be tough for a lot of us because there are so many situations in so many areas of life where we see people do things or experience people acting a certain way and we just want to grab them by the shoulders and say, you're not doing it right. <laughs> you got to do it differently. You're messing this up. Or we want to send them a detailed anonymous letter that tells them all the things they're doing wrong. Let me fix this for you. Here's everything you're not doing right. We want to believe that life would be better if everyone would just do things the right way. And guess what? We know what the right way is. We can help them. The truth is, nobody has it 100% right. And it's no different in the church. We all have our own thoughts and ideas of how things are supposed to be, of how we're supposed to interact, of what Christians should look like and how they should live. And parts of those views do come from Scripture. They absolutely do. But I think we have to be willing to admit today that some part of that view also comes from our own opinions. Conclusions we've come to on our own apart from Scripture, even some come from tradition, not from God's Word. There's a temptation to say that I I get this and no one else does, so let me tell you how this is done. Again, the truth is none of us have this 100% correct all the time. That means that we're never going to be pleased with how everyone else is going about it. So we need to put some focus into controlling what we can control. And since we can't control others, no matter how much we want to or how hard we try, we need to focus on the fact that we do have control over ourselves. And one of the best things we can do is to pursue in our own lives, in our own selves, the things we wish we could see in other people. And so if we have opinions about what the church is supposed to be, how Christians are supposed to live, we better make sure those things are showing up in our own lives, that we are developing and displaying those attributes in our own lives. If you think the church needs to be more welcoming, you better make sure you're a person who welcomes everyone into your life. If you think the church or Christians need to be more forgiving, I would challenge you to be the first person to forgive. If you think Christians need to be less arrogant, I would challenge you to acknowledge and improve on the areas of your life where you show arrogance, because you'll find that they're there. We find that we don't have it all together, but we can control our own ability to decide to do better. When you pursue the things in your own life that you expect from others, you actually receive a twofold benefit from that. Number one, you better yourself, but number two, you positively impact those around you. And while that doesn't solve whatever hurt you have, it doesn't necessarily force the one who hurt you to do anything, to apologize, or to seek forgiveness, or to admit wrongdoing. It does help you move forward. Again, controlling what you can control, and it can make a difference in how you process hurt. Because when you're working on yourself, when you're allowing yourself to say, how can I better myself? How can I improve in the places where I see weakness in others? You'll be less likely to focus on the hurt, less likely to wallow in it, and more likely to allow God to work through it. And I believe that if you do that, I believe that God will do amazing things in our willingness to to better ourselves instead of focusing on the pain and the hurt. But ultimately, you have to get to number three here. 
which is to find the will to forgive. This might actually be more difficult than giving up control or than deciding to control what we can control because a lot of us like to believe that we shouldn't have to forgive unless someone asks. And that may have come about as we were kids when somebody said, oh, okay, tell them you're sorry. Okay, now you forgive them. And we were taught the process. And so somewhere along the line, some of us have gotten to the point where we believe, you know what, I don't have to forgive unless it's requested. I don't have to give unless they ask. If they don't ask, then I don't have to. And that's good. I'll tell you this, when you hold to that standard, you hold on to a lot of pain. And it can be heavy. It can weigh you down. And yet if we're willing to forgive, to let go, to give the hurt over to God, whether someone has asked us to forgive them or not, it's a game changer and it can change your life. In fact, I would suggest that in some situations when we hold on to the hurt, when we hold that grudge, it can get to the point where that keeps us from really living anyway. But when we forgive, that act can be life-giving to our own selves. I love the way Christian author and professor Lewis Mead said it. He said, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and discover that prisoner was you. The truth is some of us have allowed church hurt to imprison us in a way that makes us feel like we're far from God. We've let it weigh us down and we've allowed ourselves to be captive. And over time it has made us feel like God has gotten distant. But forgiveness could be the first step to releasing ourselves from that kind of prison again and realizing that God was there all along. Forgiveness is such a powerful thing. and We like to be forgiven. But I think sometimes we take its power for granted. I think if we truly understand the power of forgiveness, it changes the way we view it. And we would be a lot more likely to actually embrace it, whether it was asked for or not. Yet we struggle to forgive. I love Proverbs and the wisdom contained in these writings found in the Old Testament. And there's this nugget of pure gold in Proverbs chapter 17, verse 9. It says, Love prospers when a fault is forgiven, but dwelling on it separates close friends. And you read that and you think, no wonder churches, no wonder church hurt drives people away from God because it hurts us deeply. And it's hard when we're hurt to not dwell on that for a little bit. And in that dwelling, we then drive ourselves farther and farther away from God and from the church because, again, we associate that pain with God and his people. And why deal with that again? This idea that love prospers where a fault is forgiven. Now, that sounds good. That sounds like the thing to do. Of course, I want love to prosper, to grow. But if I have to forgive for love to prosper, I'm just not sure I'm going to be able to do that. And that's where we end up sometimes, and probably where we'll end up today if we have church hurt, is where we say, yes, I can see the benefit of forgiving it, of letting go of it, of giving it to God. I can see the benefit, but not sure I can actually do that. I'm not sure I can actually give it to God or put it down or let it go or forgive. There are times in our lives where we know what would be best for us but we struggle to carry it out. And that's where a lot of us will end up today, who have hurt that was inflicted by the church. And I knew that I wasn't going to wow you with words and convince you that you could just forget that hurt in your past. I'm not that good. 
Giving forgiveness, especially if it's not sought, can be one of the most difficult things we could ever do. We need to do it anyway. We need that freedom. We need to be free to turn back to God or to turn to God for the first time because His love for us, His love for you, it's undeserved. It's completely out of balance with the amount of love we could ever return. It flies in the face of human logic, and yet God loves us that much anyway. In fact, saying that He loves us that much, it's the wrong term because that suggests there is some sort of measure for His love for us. The truth is, there is not. It is beyond measure. And so in light of that love, because of how much God loves us, here's what I want to say today to anyone who is holding on to church hurt, whether I inflicted it or not. On behalf of all churches, on behalf of all who have called themselves Christians, I have no real right to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway, no matter what happened. And I don't need to know the details, but I am sorry. I'm sorry. What happened should not have happened. What happened should not have been carried out in the name of God or His church. What happened, I firmly believe, does not reflect the heart of who God is, and it does not reflect the heart of who and what the church is supposed to be. Here's the thing, even if we come to an understanding that because people aren't perfect, God's church won't be either, that doesn't change the hurt. And I get that. I don't want to invalidate your pain or try to explain it away because I know it's there. I know you have those scars because I have some too, but I am sorry for whatever brought you that pain, whatever gave you those scars. And I hope that if you haven't yet, that today you can at least begin the process of forgiving. At least take one step toward letting go of the offense of the hurt to give it over to God. Because you'll be amazed at the difference it can make. If that's a step you're willing to take, I would challenge you right now to pray yourself right where you are, asking God to come alongside you and begin to remove this burden you've been carrying. God can handle the load, trust me. You've got nothing that's too heavy for him. See, ultimately, God does not desire pain for us. He does not desire hurt for us. He does not desire for things to happen that, that push us further from him. Because we're human and because there is sin, those things will still happen. But what God desires is for us to follow him in this life and to be with him for eternity. And he proved it by sending Jesus to be the sacrifice for our sins, to die for us so that we could be him, with him for eternity, so that we could be saved. John three sixteen and 17 says this, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. You see, this world is broken and it'll remain broken, but God has something unbroken for us beyond this life. And he wants us to be there with him for eternity. That's how much God loves you and me. That he did whatever he had to do to make a way for you to be with him. That's love. It's incomparable. It's unbelievable. But it's real. And it's how God feels about you. And so I know the pain will still be there. I know the hurt's happen. I know the scars are still there. And the truth is you may get more at some point. We may get more at some point. But none of that changes God's love for you. None of that changes how God feels about you. None of that changes what God did for you through Jesus. 
So whether you already know it or not, you need to know today that that's how much God loves you. And if you believe that he loves you and that he sent Jesus to die for you, you're ready to make that decision public and be baptized. I'd love to talk to you about that. It's the most important decision you'll ever make. And if you've made that decision, but something has pulled you away from God, maybe it was church hurt even that pulled you away from God, I'd love to talk to you about what it would look like for you to rededicate your life to God, to start anew with Him. Or if you've been around New Life for a while and you feel like this is home, but something has been holding you back from becoming a member and you're, you're a believer in Christ, but you just haven't made that decision, I'd love to talk to you about making that decision and officially joining the family here at New Life. I'd love to talk to you about any of those decisions during this time or any time today or any day. But if you've got one of those decisions to make at this time, I would invite you to come forward as we stand and sing together.